Wow, awesome. I told the previous uh, uh, congregation, you know, the previous service that it's hard to live up to uh, introductions. So uh, I'm just a guy, and in some ways I really just want to be real with you guys today. Um, we're talking about growth and what that means. What does that look like? And pardon me, but I'm just going to, I have to share from my heart, share my experience. Um, you know, I was telling the other congregation, you know, I got a haircut so I could look younger and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't help. But I just want to be real because I have been on this journey. So I'm going to speak from my experience in some ways. I'll be telling you, you know, I just want you to know it, it's, it's a heart for us to grow. and a heart for us to do something different, to be better. Um, you know, uh, in this long journey that I've been on, I received Christ when I was five years old. I remember that moment still clearly in my mind. There's a Assemblies of God church down here. I don't know which direction Winchester is. I think it's back that way. But on Winchester and Lark, a little Assemblies of God church, uh, Los Gatos First Assemblies of God. I remember it clearly. I remember their altar call and just as repentant as a five-year-old can be. I knew I needed God. I knew I needed Jesus in my life. And I, you know, I've been on this journey for 46 years. So do the math. 51. Um, so I've been down this journey. I want to encourage you that I know, I understand, and I hope in some ways that you guys can do things in some ways a little bit differently. In some ways you can do things better. When it comes to growth, there's this weird thing that happens in us where we begin to get busy with life, especially here in the Bay Area, but we get busy and, and we come to church and, and Michael or Ryan or somebody talks about growth and, and maturing. It's a huge theme in Scripture. We're called to grow in Christ-like maturity. We're called to grow in our knowledge and understanding of God. But somehow, some way, we get busy. And subtly, slowly, without us knowing, we find ourselves settling for just doing. I choose to do the right thing. And that sounds great. In fact, sometimes I get a short-term kick out of that. But sometimes we just keep, but we do and we do and we do. And then finally, when we catch our breath, we stop and we just take a little bit of an inventory and we find ourselves saying, wow, I've been doing a lot of good things, but my heart is still the same ugly heart. You know, is that darkness that's in there? That's still there. And no matter how hard I've tried to do and do more, sometimes we, we, we forget the fact that it's just such a heart issue. Even when it comes to growth, we sometimes get this misconception. I just stepped on Ryan's Bible. Whew. Wow, that sounds good. Get struck with lightning or something, probably. <laughs> um, but something happens when we subtly begin to think that if I just do the right thing, it's going to fix my heart issues. And I think we forget, Ryan talked about it a couple weeks ago, remember in our unreligious series, where he said it's possible to do the right thing and still have a wrong heart. And I promise you, promise you, promise you, I've done the right thing. And I've still managed to have lustful thoughts. I've still managed to be a bad husband, a bad father, a bad employee, and have some really heart issues not change at all. It's kind of like, um, I said this last service, it's kind of like, you know, when, you're, when you, I like to shoot guns, even here in California, but when you, when you take aim at a target... There's a straight trajectory from me, my sight, to that target. And if all I am is just a minute fraction of a hair off here, when I get to 50 yards, 100 yards, 200 yards, 
that distance between the original trajectory and where I end up can be way off. Are you following me? You get in the picture, that's the same thing. We subtly make subtle changes, subtle heart shifts, and we end up with totally unexpected consequences, totally unintended consequences, and we find ourselves ready to quit, ready to give up. Because we say, God, I'm doing the right thing. I'm sacrificing. I'm serving. But our hearts are still the same. So what I hope in some ways that we can just kind of recalibrate a little bit. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians when he's writing to the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians 3. It's not in your notes. I'll read it to you real quick here. Paul says this. Corinth is a church where Paul came and started and planted a church. I, don't know, I don't, really don't know the distance of time between then and when he's writing this letter back to them. And he's saying, listen, you guys are still in the same place. Let me tell you what he says. 1 Corinthians 3. He says, I fed, fed you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. So when I came, I treated you like kids, treated you like a baby, gave you milk, because you were not ready for it. Um, and he says, and here's the indictment against you. You are still not ready, for you are still in the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are, not, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way. So I was really challenged when I was kind of doing these verses. I was challenged by that, that sometimes we're going down, we're making these steps, we're, we're doing the right thing. And you realize we're not really close to the target at all. How did Paul know that they weren't anywhere near the target? Because what dominated their church, what dominated their community, what dominated their lives was jealousy and strife. That's our judge. That's how, or that's how we check ourselves. Am I being more full of the fruit of the Spirit or am I just doing the works of the flesh? Am I just sitting here chugging along and my heart is still just as ugly and I'm still just as jealous? Am I still just as strifeful? So that's the challenge. So like I said today, what I want is I'm hoping that some way, in some ways the Holy Spirit can kind of help us just take a little bit of a deep breath, recalibrate just a little bit. I hope somewhere that you can just hear a little still voice or somehow the, the word will speak to you today that says, man, we don't have, to, you're not really meant to live in that way of doing, doing, doing. I'm calling you to be something we're going to talk about today. So let's pray. Lord, I just pray that you would uh, speak today, that you would speak through me. There'd be less of me, less of Michael, and more of what you want to communicate today. Pray that you'd open our hearts to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So our scripture today is going to be Mark 4, 26 through 29. This is another parable. Um, I, I love the way these four parables are grouped in this book of Mark. Um, we're going to talk about some more in the future, in the next couple of weeks. But you have this parable of the sower and the soil, right? We've been talking about it for the last two weeks. And then you have this weird thing about the lamp stuck in there. And then this parable, which is the parable of the seed, the, the, mystery, you know, the, the growing seed. But before we can really kind of embrace this, I think we need to be reminded of two huge things. I'm going two, two huge things um, that we want to remember from last week, from the last two weeks. And week one, as we talked about the parable of the sower and the soil, the lesson, the real takeaway for me was that we serve, we know an incredibly gracious God. That no matter the condition of my heart, 
Whether I'm that hard soil or that shallow, selfish soil, or I'm that hurried, out-of-control soil that's got all these distractions, no matter what the condition of my heart, we have a God that's gracious, initiating and sowing toward us. Huge. Hugely important. We lose sight of that, I think we lose sight of everything. Um, Then the second thing, in week two, we talked about the fact that the foundation for healthy growth is simply my response to God's word. We can either, you know, at, at any given time, I think we all identify with one types of those conditions of the soil, right? I'm hard-hearted, I'm hurt, so I'm defensive, or I'm like the rocky soil where I let everything, everything's crowd in, or I'm that shallow soil where I'm pretty much just self, you know, living for self. Um, so I think uh, um, the things we have to have, the filter where I want us to look at this next passage is, the, is that filter. Incredibly gracious God. He's always sowing. He's always initiating. And we have this incredible simplicity, simple response to his word. So let's pray. I mean, that's important. How about if we read? We won't pray again. <laughs> um, we're going to talk. Our scripture here today is Mark 4. The parable is in verses 26 through 29. So I'll read here. It says, And, and he said, The kingdom of God is, is, is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. When the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. When you first read that, there's a lot of you know, similarities, right? We have some of the same characters. We've got a sower, seed, and soil. You can add in harvest if you want. But you have some pretty much the same, same players. Um, and so it's very easy just to kind of read this and say, you're just kind of repeating yourself, Mark. What's up, Jesus? Come on. Um, but when you begin to look at the differences and the different meanings, in particular, the difference shows up when we look at the symbols or what these things mean. In the first parable, the sower is God, and he's sowing generously. In this parable, the man, he's not even called a sower. He's just called the man, a man. This man, I believe, is us. He's you and I. He's followers of Christ. When we look at the seed, I believe it's pretty much the same thing. First, first parable, the seed is what? The word of God. Both written and living. It's the word of God. God was sowing it. The man scatters it. Um, the soil, we know clearly, Jesus tells us well, there again what the soil is. That's us. That's our hearts. The condition of our heart. Um, and this parable, I kind of struggled with finding an exact way to interpret this. be honest with you, you read these commentaries sometimes. You know, you, I do my study and I try to get it all figured out. Then I read what other people have written. Man, sometimes it's like, oh, I'm getting nowhere. This guy says that guy, whatever. You know, but I think it's still, I think there's like a, I think it's fair to say that there's, a, there's two potentials, I think. There's a big picture for the soil. Like the soil is the kingdom of God at large. And God's moving, the church at large, and God's growing it everywhere. But I also think there's, and this is what I tend to lean toward, that it's a little bit more of a micro picture, if you will, a smaller picture. I think it's much more personal. I think in some ways the soil represents, once again, our hearts and the condition of our, where we're at. Because we're sowing into, you know, and, and I think this idea of growth, soul care, ties into that. And then lastly, of course, there's, um, there's the harvest. And the first parable, I believe the main intent of the harvest is this idea of, of, of gathering in new followers of Christ. 
And I think in this one, slightly different, subtly different, I think there's just this idea of growth in our own hearts, this purposeful growth, intention of where we're going. So we have these interesting similarities, and I think the fact that there's differences help emphasize the point. And the point is something that's completely different. In the first parable, we know that the, the point is, man, what's the condition of your heart? Where's your heart? It's all about the sower. It's all about the soil. And this one, oddly enough, I really believe it's simply, it's really about the seed. How in the heck does the seed grow? The seed grows all by itself and nobody knows how. Crazy wordage, crazy verbs or verbiage. But for some reason, this is a picture of the kingdom. The seed grows by itself. So this one, the point of this story is the, the growth of the seed. So real quick, I want to take a, a, these two main players, if you will, the soil, the seed and the sower. I want to take a look at this real quick. As far as the role of the seed, all by itself, the seed grows. We don't see a picture of the man getting out in the field and willing the seed to grow. What happens? Yeah, obvious, duh, chin's going duh. Uh, yeah, he throws it out, and all by itself it grows, okay? Um, so the seed grows, it has a process. How does it start? The blade, then the, then the ear, and then the full ear. You know, I, I lived in Kansas City for 14 years, and um, you know when it's time to start, when, when they're starting to sow, when they're getting ready and they're putting seeds out. You know, because they plow the fields and they got all these straight furrows. And then kind of you get some rain and slowly you, you, that's exactly what you begin to see. You see these little blades, green little specks all over this huge field. And it begins to fill in. Next thing you know, it kind of becomes like a nice heavy grass kind of filling in. You can still see the rows. But as you begin to get into the part of when the ear begins to develop, it almost it, it fills in incredibly and becomes this patch of green everywhere now. Then it gets to be about, I had to check with Lori, but because she, she came from wheat country in Kansas, you know, you get about 18, 24 inches tall. And that's when you know the head is beginning to just come to full ripeness. You know, it, it's coming to fullness. I've never seen an ear of wheat or corn come sprouting out of the ground. If it did, what do you think would happen? It would just kind of probably flop over and ruin the, ruin the wheat or ruin the corn sitting in the ground, right? In this timing, in this process, the, the, the seed has a process. It has a system of blade, and then you begin to get to where the stalk can may even handle the, just the small ear, and then the full ear when the full grain is there. I love it when that wheat is, is not quite ready for harvest. It isn't turning gold. It's not turning yellow yet. It's all green except for like the last couple inches. And it just has this really cool thing and wind blowing and this awesome sound of all this wheat just kind of moving. But <clears throat> so here, the, the role of the seed is that it grows all by itself. It has a process. It has a system. I love the fact that there's a certain amount of mystery to this, right? The seed grows all by itself. Then what does it say? Nobody knows how, or he doesn't know how. You know, in Scripture, and Proverbs, it says God, the glory of God is to conceal a matter and is the glory of a king to search it out. And I love that thought that even with parables, there's this thing where God's kind of pulling us in and drawing us in and saying, listen, there's mysteries, there's things to learn. Come find it. So even in understanding parables, there's a sense of mystery we need to figure out. So that's the role of the seed. It grows all by itself. The man has nothing to do with that. The role of the man, he's got to do his part, right? He has to scatter the seed. 
This is a totally different word than the word that's used in, in the other parable of sow. Sow is this total agricultural word. I'm taking seed and I'm throwing it in my field with the intent of, intent of growing something. Scatter has a much more nonchalant, hey, I'm just throwing this out there, I'm throwing it out there, and I don't care. Neither one of these guys are really good farmers, right? The sower, we said, was so generous and lavish that, man, he was letting the seed go anywhere. This guy is throwing the seed and saying, no, I don't care, I'm done, you know, whatever. So there's this weird sense, but for some reason, you know, that, man, these guys aren't really good farmers, but for some reason, Jesus is saying, this is the kingdom of God. So the man scatters, and then what does he do? Sleeps. Actually, the word I used up there is wait. One of the guys I read says he has patient expectation. Once again, the guy is not, you know, he's not up all night fretting about the seed. There is a certain amount of risk. There's a certain amount of sacrifice this, this guy has made. That grain that he sowed and scattered could have been a meal, maybe two, maybe three. I don't know. He could have just said, no, I've got to feed my family. He's taking a risk. He's sacrificing. And in the midst of that, there's a sense of patient expectation. Because, right, he goes to sleep. He gets up night and day. It's a process. These aren't magic beans, right? He doesn't throw them out at night and wake up and there's a giant wheat stalk into the clouds. He doesn't go up there and steal the golden, what, the goose that lays a golden egg or the harp. That's another part of Scripture. <laughs> Just seeing if you're awake. You are, so... Um, and I get, I'm getting ahead of my notes. Let me get caught up. So there's this thing, you know, there's just this sense of patient expectation. So even while the seed is kind of doing its thing, if you were a farmer, you would know that that man is not sleeping all day. If you were a farmer, you would know that that guy has lots to do. Some of you say, yeah, yeah. You, you, we, you know, if, if you've lived in the Midwest, you know that you see those guys, they're getting their... Equipment ready. This guy was probably repairing and sharpening his sickle, getting it ready to, for the harvest. Maybe he was getting his barns ready. He was fixing the leak in the roof so he didn't ruin the grain. He was probably setting up people to buy the grain. He was probably getting the wheels on his cart set up. He wasn't. He was, he was waiting. He was patient. But he was also expecting something. I love the fact that he doesn't know how it works, but he's totally expecting it to work. Verse 29 reinforces this, right? The very last verse here. It says, but when the grain is ripe, what? At once. Lori, I was talking to Lori about grain. She grew up in the Midwest around this much more than I did in a town of about 600, surrounded by wheat, literally. Um, and she talks about the farmers would go and they, they check the wheat. Even though it's yellow and to my untrained eye, oh yeah, it's ready. The, the farmer will go and check. He'll take some grain out and, and see what if it's ready. He'll check the moisture content or whatever. He knows. He's paying attention. He's not neglectful. And I think that's the picture we see here. Then lastly, of course, what the man does, the role of the man, is that he harvests. All the sacrifice, all the risk, all the preparation is incredibly, incredibly purposeful. He's Learn discipline, he's done all these things, and now it's time, time to harvest. So what's the point? How does this tie in? What am I trying to say? How does this relate to this whole idea of growth? How does it relate to this idea, like I said, when I've struggled and I've said, man, I'm ready to give up? What's the point? How does this... I, uh, um, you know, 
What does this mean? Quit talking, Mike, and tell me something important. Um, but I think there's this crazy tension between what God does and God's part and our part. We see that in some ways in this, this thing of what, what, the soul, what the seed does and what the man does. So I want to talk about that just a minute. Um, so with healthy growth, we need to just walk in this idea that God provides a lot for us. And number one, I think he provides power. The seed, I know the, the, the verse says soil or the earth all by itself produces, but it's not the earth by itself, is it? It's the earth and the seed mixed together. Those two come together and something happens. So I believe there's power that God provides in the seed. You know, I know there's times when I've struggled with stuff. I'll, you know, tell you a story. When I, I, I work in construction, and if you know construction at all, we don't necessarily always recruit the people that we be working at Apple as engineers. Typically, we're just a different breed. And often, the, the vocabulary we use has a certain flavor to it. And so there was a time in my life when and I felt I needed to grow. And I really felt like God was saying, Mike, you have a naughty, waddy, potty mouth, and you need to change. And so, you know, anybody know what that's from? Naughty, waddy, potty mouth. Okay, good. <laughs> um, but sometimes we, we, we hear God say to us, Mike, gosh, you've got to, you, you can't talk like that. That's not really good. And so, you know what I do? I go to work and I'd hit my thumb accidentally with a hammer, and man, just this ugliness would come out of my mouth. And I'd go, stop, don't do that, quit it. God's talking to you about this, and you keep doing this. That went on for weeks, months. Nothing changed. I just got more and more stressed about it. Then something happened to where I realized I wasn't fixing anything. My heart still had anger, and I was upset. Whatever was blocking my way that I wanted to get done that day, and that was still, I still had a heart issue. And what I began to do, I began to get, this sounds totally backwards, but it's true. I got less stressed about the fact that something would come out of my mouth as much as I began to think, wow, that's kind of ugly heart you got there. God, would you help me change this heart? And something happened to where... (laughs) You see Katie there. She probably knows as much as anybody. That, you know, something happened at one point in that season when God was telling me to work on that language thing. He was really telling me, you have a heart issue. He changed that in me to where, you know, I'm just much more chill. And when I'm able to just say, oh, God, help me, I had a completely different feeling about it, completely different response, and completely different results. So God provides the power. When there's healthy growth, he provides the power. We're not like... The, and here's the thing that's challenging as well or just encourage you, there's nothing more frustrating in our lives as Christians, as followers of Christ, than trying to do God's work for him. Because if you just did what I know you should do, you would be fine. And there's nothing more frustrating. How many of you have kids? Yeah, yeah you, know, we want our, you know, we want somebody to do what we think is best. And that's God's job, to change them. But he provides the power. Even though we're involved, we do not empower this process. Second thing, with healthy growth, God provides process. So you see, if you remember, while the seed is kind of doing its thing, growing from blade to ear to full ear, while while it's doing that, there's another process happening in parallel, if you will. The man is learning discipline. 
The man is learning, I could just fritter away these wonderful spring and summer hours, but when the harvest came, I wouldn't be ready. So there's a process. I would suggest to you that the process and the disciplines that we want to work into our lives and that we feel so convicted about sometimes and we feel so guilty about and shameful or whatever sometimes and nothing happens, that sometimes we have this thing that we're thinking we're earning, achieving, and getting God's attention by saying, ah, look what I've done. Look how awesome I've been this week. And we beat our chest. Have you been to that family reunion when there's that one two-year-old or three-year-old or whatever that just wants the attention? You know, sometimes I feel like I'm like that way with God. Look, look, look. Yeah, I, had, I, read, I did my quiet time, so I should not have any bad thoughts today. I, whatever, so I should be a better husband today. It just, for some reason, I think when we have this performance mentality, we block the process. We block the power, we block the process, and we lose sight that the discipline is purposeful. The reason the guy was doing all that work was he was getting ready for the harvest. And the last thing is with healthy growth, God provides purpose. This is hard to hear, but as the resident old guy around here, it's not about you. She's going, what? (laughs) I saw that. (laughs) Um, It's not about you. It's not about me, right? And sometimes when we are in this growth mode, it becomes so much about me. Healthy growth, God provides purpose. I think this harkens back or, or looks back all the way back to Genesis, right? When God called Abraham, we don't really know why. It's kind of alluded to later where he says he called Abraham and he says, man, you were the least of the least, you know. You're, you, you're, this nation was nothing. You guys were really nothing. It's not because Abraham had some great thing to, you know, to say, that I'm so awesome. He just called him. And so God calls Abraham. Abraham responds. And in the midst of this obedience, God begins to bless. And then God actually speaks a blessing over Abraham. He promises him four things. I'm going to give you a name, a nation, descendants. And then lastly, he says, you will bless all the nations. In this idea of purpose we have, I think we go back to the roots of where this all started and some of, some of God's initiation toward man was purposeful. Abraham was blessed to be a blessing. So we saw God's part, if you will. If you could say that's kind of God's part in helping us not to burn out, not to give up, keeping that in mind. I encourage you, and this is our challenge, I think, in healthy growth. What do we do? What's our part? I encourage you to give generously. We saw in the first parable a farmer who would be considered a pretty bad farmer. He's not paying attention where the, soil, where the seed's going. He's not paying attention to the soil. Are we not that way sometimes as well? I mean... We tend not to be that way. We get so worried that, man, you know, I work in a kind of a rough area of, of Oakland, downtown Oakland. And sometimes, you know, there's just the hardness that comes in my heart when I see people sometimes. Why would I waste my seed on that hard soil? Why would I waste my time asking your name? Why would I go out of my way to go get a sandwich and bring you a sandwich? You're hard-hearted, you're shallow, you're rocky, whatever. I can come up with a thousand excuses. But God, for some reason, says, man, the kingdom of God is generous. 
You know, there is no shortages. There is not a water shortage in the kingdom of God. There's not a drought. Amen. Thank you, Lord. You know, there's not a food shortage in the kingdom of God. There's not a resource or a money shortage. We need to be generous in the way we give. Um, Second, our challenge in healthy growth is to live expectantly. Don't give up. Don't give up. Whatever little ember of faith is stirring in your heart, as you hear me talk about growth and maturity, whatever little bit of hope is there, fan that. God's not asking you to sprout up wheat out of the middle of the ground. No, he's saying start with the blade and then let the ear develop and then you'll be ready for the full harvest, right? So live expectantly. No matter how small or insignificant the beginning those fields that I saw in Kansas City were so, sometimes so full of wheat, you could almost feel like you could walk on them because it's like solid grass or, you know, that's this tall. It seems solid. No matter how small the beginning, know that God has a purpose, He has a plan. And most importantly, remember that our hope is not in our performance. The farmer was pretty chill, man. He just, he just kind of relaxed and let the seed do its thing. I know in my heart, the more uptight I get about the things that God's working on in me, sometimes the less happens in my heart. But when I begin to just live expectantly and know that my hope and my faith is in something so much greater than I could ever do, my hope is not in Ryan. I love Ryan with all my heart. Been with him for several years. But I don't hope Ryan's going to save a darn thing in my heart. He leads me, he guides me, he encourages me, he feeds me. Man, my hope is not in Ryan. The person I trust with deepest of all my heart, my wife. My hope is not in my wife. My hope is in this incredibly crazy, generous God who would be considered a bad farmer. That's our hope. And lastly, I encourage you um, to live purposefully. I mentioned this before already. God provides the purpose and it is not about us. Embrace the discipline. Embrace the ideas of growth and the encouragement and doing those things of quiet time and study. Do those things. But keep it in perspective that I'm doing that purposely for that when the time of harvest comes, I won't be this little teeny weeny blade of grass that can't hold up a thing. I embrace those disciplines because I'm purposeful and I know that God wants to bless this city He wants to bless this community. He wants to bless the Bay Area, the city, the world. Come on, folks. I don't know if the world could handle a church that really kind of lived this way, expectantly and purposefully. So live with purpose. Um, And keep in mind, you know, this whole idea of purpose, that, that we are really blessed to be a blessing. You know, from the very roots of God initiating toward man, one of the huge parts of that promise was that you were blessed to be a blessing. So, uh, worship band, if you want to come on up. Um, can I just pray for you guys? Can I just let you, you know, just, just take a little or a big breath? Just let go of some of those things that God's saying, man, you need to work on that. Just let it go. Embrace his power. Expect great things and live purposefully.
Lord, I bless your people right now. Lord, I pray that they would hear you and hear what you're calling them to do and not do and stress about what they don't need to do. Lord, I pray that you'd bless them to give generously. Lord, I pray that you'd bless them um, to live expectantly and that you'd bless them to live purposefully. In your name.